The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Hi, welcome to Gone by Lunchtime. I'm Toby Mann. Hi, uh, and I have here with me at the spin-off Annabelle Lee. Hi, Annabelle. You're just choking on an M&M there. Mm-hmm. How have you been? I've been very well. We missed you last uh, time, a fortnight ago, um, owing to something to do with your day job. I had to have a hooey. Oh, you had a hooey? I um, had a hooey. Uh, and instead we had Guy Williams in the spin-off he studio. He was wonderful. And he schooled us on a few things, didn't he, Ben Thomas from Exceltium High? It was, it was a wild time. It was, it was, I think, by decibel, the loudest episode, not just of this podcast, maybe any. Um, and Madeline Chapman, who is a producer today, has given us very clear instructions following Guy Williams tutoring us on some weird rule about not eating. And what was your instruction, Mad? She'll have to shout because you won't be able to hear her. Chew loudly. Chew loudly, <laughs> says Matt. So um, we are going to defy the instructions of Guy, tall comedian Williams, uh, and chew loudly through the episode. If you don't like that, you go and listen to some other, go and listen to Jono and Ben or whatever. We're eating green m and so. Um, he's a good guy, though. It was good to have <laughs> it him It was on. good. It was yeah. good. It was good. It was, he, yeah, it was interesting. Um, but we missed you, Annabelle. I missed you guys, too. You, when... Um, when <laughs> Oh, this is beautiful. Let's wrap it up there. Uh, the um, uh, when I asked you guys what you wanted to talk about, you said you wanted to talk about the um, new Fairfax podcast, Black Hands. That's been obsessing you yeah. over the recent days. It's like um, making a murderer, mm. but the New Zealand version. Mm. And the good thing is that I can still like listen to it and yell at my kids and perform mundane <laughs> tasks and in that instead of just like. Staring into the television for ten hours. Does your does you does your house in many ways resemble um, sixty five Every Street, Dunedin? Um, well, like Margaret, I would love to be able to go to bed for six weeks at a time. Mm. So it sort of inspired me in that regard. Mm. But otherwise, not a whole lot of um, similarities between my fuddy and, and the Bain house. This is the, others may beg to differ. The podcast about um, David Bain, although then the, the Bain family killings in a zillion years ago, um, which Martin Van Banyan has um, disinterred. Uh, have you been listening? It's, it's sort of like the opposite of serial, isn't it? Instead of kind of cloaked in ambiguity and unanswered questions, it's sort of everybody knows who the killer was and now we're just going to go over it one more time in great depth. To be fair, I think he plays it with a fairly straight bat. 
I mean, clearly he believes that it's David and he says so, but he, you know, doesn't shy away from calling out the police on their shoddy work and, you know, entertains the possibility that it is Robin and admits that there is nothing that is absolutely damning, so... When I was um, in Parliament, you'd get a lot of alternative theories presented to you by concerned members of the public. Mm. Um, one which I think I can probably share because it was it wasn't sent to my boss directly. Yeah. Parliamentary Security got a box of five hundred self-published books mm. um, called "The Road to Innocent," which the entirety it looked like a you know one of those kind of fancy real estate catalogs that you know is about sort of 48 pages long or something kind of glossy a4 mm. um and it 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 was entirely composed of um scanned copies of correspondence with the author from various officials lawyers parties to the case um <laughs> politely rejecting his offer of assistance to prove that it was the youngest daughter who was the killer. Oh. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Um, Sounds good to me. Uh, yeah. Um, we're going to devote the rest of the podcast this year to um, elaborating and stringing out that theory. Also, Ben, before we actually start this podcast proper, you were just uh, relating a moment ago your experience on One News with your latest promiscuous approach to the political media. <laughs> Could you tell us that story again for the listeners? I, well, I, I mean, it was a proud moment. It was, the, it was the first time I ever appeared on media that my grandmother would see. Mm. So probably the high point of the Thomas family lineage. And how did, how did, it, how did it go? It, it didn't go so well. Um, I haven't cut my hair in a while, and because, um, because I suffer from male pattern baldness, um, whenever my hair gets a bit sort of too long, it sort of becomes a bit sort of Christopher Lloydish and mm. Back to the Future, <laughs> and um, it wasn't it wasn't my finest moment. Um, I think it's fetching. Um, I like it too. I like it. I like the flux capacitor. Mm. The, uh, look, um, the most of the political attention, I suppose, in the last kind of week and a bit has been around Mitteria today, uh, who's the co-leader of the Green Party and her at their at their um, AGM, I think they call it, don't they? Their, their conference. Conference, effect. yeah. She, uh, as part of an announcement of policy around welfare, she said that when she was in her 20s or 23 or something, she had um, flatmates or boarders, which she hadn't declared to wins, thereby misleading wins. And so, you know, uh, committed benefit fraud. And that's been interesting because it's it's... It's. It, I don't know if they expected it to play out like this, but it's. It's really. She said this morning on 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 national radio that it had cracked open the conversation on whether it's possible to live on a benefit, and it has done that, Annabelle, isn't mm. it? I mean, it's also divided people about the rights or wrong of it and whether or not she'd be forced to pay it back or whatever. It has. Uh, for um, me personally, I was quite pleased when she made that announcement, just because. <coughs> sorry, guy. <coughs> sorry, guy. Um, is that an Eminem? Is that it's an M &M. again? See, guys, right? It's guy is very the much with sugary us. Sugary saliva that builds up around an M and M, and thank is you quite, for that detail. Yeah, viscous and hard uh, Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> last year I went to a Bruce Jesson memorial lecture, which was delivered by Dr. Lisa Marriott, and I literally sat there slack jawed mm. at her research, which is on um, the difference between the way the trait the the state treats. Uh, welfare fraud 
compared to tax evasion. And just those two names alone kind of sums up the whole approach, tax, uh, welfare fraud mm. versus tax evasion. Mm. So for I've been looking for an opportunity to have um, Lisa on the show and that, you know, Matidia's announcement, I think, sort of opened the door to that. And um, it's on the News Hub website if you want to go watch it, people. It's really interesting. Have a look. Yeah, mm. it, it's quite compelling. Um, $1.2 billion worth of tax evasion every year versus $30 million worth of um, welfare fraud. But, you know, uh, we, we chase down welfare fraudsters um, to the ends of the earth, uh, they're more likely to be prosecuted, more likely to be jailed, and m most welfare fraud is paid back, albeit over a very long period of time, whereas tax fraud, uh, uh, tax evasion, tax fraud, um, is the opposite. Nevertheless, Materia today has confessed to breaking the law um, and, you, you know, arguably stealing public money. Does that... Is that not something that should give people pause about her credentials for becoming, say, a minister in a, in a, in a future government? I um, think that some of the outrage that we've seen come from other members of parliament is slightly hypocritical because arguably, um, not that I'm encouraging anyone to break the law, and that's certainly not what she was doing either. My, my read of it was that she was saying... This is a position she was put in. It's not how she wants to define herself as a person, but unfortunately a lot of other New Zealanders find themselves in this position. It's a, In her case, you could argue it was a, a crime motivated by desperation rather than greed and, um, and, um, and a conversation needs to be had about how we treat welfare recipients and whether or not benefits are, um, you know, are enough to live on. Certainly it's done her some damage in some quarters, but I think in other quarters it's probably added to her um, credibility rather than diminished it. Mm. Although obviously it has made her um, low-hanging fruit for, um, for people who already have a strong sense of resentment towards um, beneficiaries. What do you think, Ben? Do you think that um, she's undermined in terms of credibility, legitimacy? Yeah, so I think in terms of admitting that she's broken the law, if you actually cast around, you'd be hard-pressed to find many members of parliament right now who haven't, for instance, admitted to smoking cannabis. Yes. Right? Or, or, or paying for a cash job for some, some painting. Yeah, but some I, I think the cannabis one is particularly sort of um, Prevalent. relevant because sure. now it's almost mm. fashionable. I sure, think. Yeah, 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 that's right. square yeah, if that's you don't true. admit that's true. to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. a big yeah. change from sure. about, say, 10 or 15 years ago. And so I, I don't think it's quite as straightforward as saying she's admitted to breaking the law so she can't hold a ministerial mm. post. I think she really struggled today on Morning Report being interviewed with by Guy Nespina talking about what she would do as Minister of Social Development, um, confronted by people who were defrauding her increased benefits mm. were she to become Minister, mm. and where actually do you draw the line in terms of absolute need? Because I think there has been a bit of slipperiness, and this is just in talking about her personal narrative, um, that initially it was kind of sold as, you know, stopping my child from starving and 
today in terms of justifying um, running for parliament twice during that time. Um, you know, she said, well, everyone deserves to have fun and deserves to have interests in a life or, you know, something along those lines. Mm. So, so the, the, you know, we're not talking about absolutes and we still don't actually know enough details to make any kind of judgments on that. What I do, what I do think is important is what Annabelle was, was saying, which is, which is we need to look at, you know, how, how easy is it actually for people to get support? Um, there's actually huge amounts of money available um, and, and it's, it's increasing all the time with the election sort of bidding process for sole parents, low-income parents. Um, it, but it is actually increasingly difficult to access mm. those for a lot of people. You know, I think the, the well, forms for going on welfare are about 50 pages long mm. and you almost sort of have to be a middle-class technocrat middle manager to, yeah. to, to fill these in properly. And we've in the last week there's been discussion about whether there are targets for caseworkers to get people off benefits. Mm. Yeah. There are clearly targets to get people into work uh, and, and wins would would dispute that they're trying to stop people from accessing benefits, but you'd be hard-pressed to say that that's not a factor. Yeah. You're exactly right, and in my job, that's something that we hear over and over and over again. And we, on Sunday, we put a story in air, uh, put a story to air about grandparents who, for whatever reason, are having to raise their grandchildren, and all of them say the most difficult thing is trying to navigate their way through the one system you know they're elderly they're on fixed incomes they're living in little two-bedroom units and suddenly they find themselves caring for four mokupuna and you know and the state is not forthcoming about what resources are available just going back to the, the matidia thing and running for um mcgillicuddy serious and legalizing aotearoa i'm a little bit confused about why this is become an issue because are we saying that people on benefits are not allowed to be politically active are we saying and then what's the next step from that so if you're not allowed to stand for parliament does that mean that beneficiaries what should not be allowed to vote because to be fair she was raising a child on her own and putting herself through law school that's a lot of hard work I think the fact that actually she found time to be political, politically active is something that's admirable rather than something we should all feel astonished and aggrieved about myself. Yeah. I just think it's a slippery slope because um, what does that say? Beneficiaries aren't allowed to run for parliament. Running for parliament is a big investment in time and, and actually in a lot of cases resources. For um, McGillicuddy serious and for legalised Aotearoa? <laughs> well, I think, I, mean, I think her response to that, because most people's perception of the McGillicuddy serious party is um, that it is as much, <laughs> it's, it's not exactly kind of a, 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 a serious bid for power, is it? So I think that her defence there was, well, you're allowed to have fun too when you're a beneficiary. And I think that probably goes to the sort of talk back radio perception or the idea is that if you're on welfare you need to be at home you know like living um, a monastic lifestyle yeah yeah subsistent and mm. kind of digging up potatoes from your backyard and, and, which and to be fair was a narrative that was kind of put about by a lot of supporters particularly online that this was a real hand-to-mouth scrabbling for sort of subsistence survival sort of story in the early parts of, you know, when this kind of first was, was announced or, you know, first came to light in her speech. Um, so I think it just clashes with the narrative and I think that was why, um, you know, it, it's received attention because I think everyone already knew that she'd and, been a candidate. And, and the, I mean, the interview you mentioned with uh, Guy Nespiner on, on, 
on Morning Report, she did she did acknowledge that she, those were questions she needed to answer, and she yeah. said she said at one point I need to go back through the records to look at mm-hmm. her own. So I, I sort of I don't I don't I I, I'm, I think she's kind of acknowledges that it's now it's now become a kind of election issue. I mean the other the other thing that's interesting in this in terms of the way it plays in the campaign is I just I just um, pulled up an interview that the spinoff did with. Uh, Toure and James Shaw, the other co-leader, uh, sort of towards the start of the year, and they were talking about how in 2014, according to their numbers, they got one percent of media coverage of the campaign. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, I, I'm not I'm not sure on, on the detail of that, but they said um, they they quote um, um, as for campaigning, we're really not we're really committed to not saying crazy shit just for the sake of getting headlines. Says James Shaw, and. You know that's always been a problem for them. We saw that in the weeks leading up to this, that it was all New Zealand first, and mm-hmm. and and the Greens sort of who um, positioned themselves so moderately, really, had been straining at it. This gets media cut through. It really mm-hmm. has. I mean, whether or not it will, whether or not it will yield support in the next opinion polls, but the I, Greens, I think the Greens are there in the in the front and centre, right? I think it will. This this will resonate with a lot of their supporters, mm-hmm. which is. First of all, people who you know are struggling on benefits, but much more so um, middle class people who have actually you know are actually pretty comfortable with you know a bit of mild system rotting. You know, everyone I went to university with used their course related costs to buy a new iPod or a laptop or go on a holiday yeah. or buy beer. Yeah. So the the sort of comfortable middle classes, I think, are actually a lot more sort of at home with what Matidia is talking about than a lot of the working classes, the sort of people who actually, you know, in, in you know, I mean, strange it is as it is for a glib urban liberal like me, there's a lot of people out there who work hard and are proud of working hard and don't necessarily enjoy their jobs, but take a lot of pride in the fact that they support their families that they've never been on welfare. Mm. I think that it'll hurt the left block as a whole with those voters, so I think it'll actually hurt Labour. I think, um, you know, as the saying goes, the Greens have always been the bridesmaid and and never the bride, and they Mm. were kind of staring down the barrel of that again, this election with, um, you know, New Zealand first becoming, you know, more and more um, influential and both national and Labour cozying up to them. So they kind of had to pull out a, a power play, and it's a risky one, but... New Zealand politics seems so risk averse at the moment. You can barely differentiate between Labour and National. So I think, in terms of um, appealing to, you know, to the to the left of New Zealand, to the far left of New Zealand, who perhaps feel somewhat ignored, um, that it, you know, I, I can see why they've they've followed they've they've taken this approach and whether or not it. It plays out for them. One of the things I'm not sure, but um, but something had to be done, and maybe too, it's slightly inspired by Jeremy Corbyn, you know, to be uh, pushing left rather than fighting for the middle ground where you've got you know a whole a whole lot of parties scrapping already. I found it really interesting that the the green policy of raising benefits by core benefits by twenty percent, which was actually sort of at the heart of their announcement, um, has been described as radical and removing mm. work testing um, 
requirements was Australia was radical. Now this was the status quo not, not too long ago. Similarly, um, putting putting the top tax rate up to forty cents a yeah, dollar, like really the extremist, idea that above one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. The idea, the, I mean, and, the idea that a Labour Party yeah. would oppose that is kind of amazing. And right? and, and then uh, the ACT Party standard disclaimer did a bit of work for them earlier this year. Um, their number two, Beth Holbrook, who nobody had sort of heard of before, came out and said, "You shouldn't have kids if you can't afford it." And this was greeted with online cries of sort of eugenics. And I mean, this this was a, this is an utterly respectable, just sort of truism to most to most middle New Zealand during the nineties, the two thousands. Um, and 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 similarly, you wouldn't find anybody in the nineties or two thousands who would have described putting up benefits as a radical position. And yet, because the two major parties have just intertwined on mm. this sort of nightmare mishmash of sort of fake tax credits and mm. sort of abatement rates and sort of fudging the line between welfare and work and these sort of weird technocratic solutions that... Who's that? Dana? That's his grandmother. She's just ringing to say she saw him on TV <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> and wants him to get a better suit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, it, but it's really interesting that the convergence of the two parties on this sort of consensus, you know, this what we could call the working for families model, has actually opened up um, what used to be just totally the normal left-right kind of contest on welfare is now seen as like really polar, polarising sort mm. of... Um, mm. Extremes. Hey, just while we're on the subject, can I take a moment to fangirl Kim Hill for that interview she did? With which which one? The one with the one with the ambassador Brooke. Um, oh, Auntie Brooke from ACT. What's her name? Oh, oh yes, Beth the, Holbrook. The, 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 Beth one, Holbrook. the one who thinks yeah. people shouldn't have kids if they haven't got enough money. I, well, I, I, yeah, I, th- I thought that was pretty mainstream and would have resonated with a lot of people. And then I, th- I think it went a little off course when she started talking about how poor people should be freezing their embryos. Um, Good times. Um, Awkward. Let you, uh, Annabelle, you said you could barely differentiate a lot of the time you were alluding to that too, Ben, um, between Labour and National. But Labour have put out their own alternative budget, you know, the, the, the main thrust of it, um, which got a bit lost, I think, in a week that was dominated by the Greens and, and, and the Winston first aboard his bus. But they've, um, they want to borrow a bit more. It's sort of roughly the same course, but it's clear enough. They want to they want to borrow a bit more, um, pay down debt more slowly, that they would spend that money on health, number one, on mm. education two, and on putting money into the super fund, number three. Um, is, it, is it now an election, which we haven't had all that much of in the last couple of decades, maybe, or 15 years, where there is a, there is a clear choice? Is there a clear choice for voters about you know, whether they want money to go into tax cuts and that kind of uh, in your own back pocket versus they think that the state is better to determine some of that redistributively. Again, it's at the margins. So, you know, we're talking $20 tax cuts versus, you know, more social spending. So it's not these, this sort of huge lolly scramble like we had in sure. 2005, 2008. Um I think Labour Labour will be disappointed that they didn't get more media cut through um, on that budget. They obviously worked very hard on it. Mm. Where it will help them for the remaining eight and a half weeks of the campaign is that the coverage was mainly, in fact, the news story on uh, News Hub I saw was uh, Labour's numbers add up. <laughs> Whether yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 actually, that's not trivial for Labour during campaigns. They've been caught out in the last two campaigns. You know about what was Key's line? Show, like, me, show the me the money. money yeah, and um, 
and, which and, plays into a perception, which is not necessarily oh, borne out empirically, but the perception yeah. that the parties of the left uh, yeah. tend to be faster and looser with the money, whereas the parties of the centre-right are prudent. And, and yeah, and, and, the go- and the government of the day has an unfair advantage in this because people just assume that anything they announce can be done because it's being done, yeah. whereas there's a sort of burden of, 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 I think, as you said, unfair burden of proof on opposition parties. And I Although think we had experiences in the 80s particularly where... You know, opposition parties made all sorts of crazy suggestions, and then did very few of them when they went into into into, into government. So, there, so there's not. I mean, there are, you know, there there is reasonable skepticism. About Although a lot of the time, that was because they didn't understand the true state of the finances and the government true. had been lying. So, like in the in 1990, but w- where this will help Labour is if we can get if they can square away at the beginning of this campaign that their numbers do add up. So all the subsequent announcements that they make that flow from that budget, people won't be quibbling over the cost or, sure. you know, is this credible? And and that's actually a good thing for them to establish up front, I think. What do you reckon? And I mean, the Greens, going back to them, they, they spent a lot of time over the last year and a half, two, two and a half years really, kind of um, preparing the ground for... Um, for now, by shoring up the, the the business communities and all that with their memorandum of understanding, their budget responsibility rules, this kind of incredibly kind of um, earnest earnest promises <laughs> that they're not that they're not they're not they're not wild and crazy. It's okay. You, we can be trusted. Um, do 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 you think now that on the left? I mean, we obviously chuck New Zealand first on there that they are sort of stacking up as a plausible alternative. I think you know the. The, the problem is that when you <clears throat> do come across as too earnest and too responsible, you're not pe- appealing to the voters who desperately want um, change, and you're just starting to look like more of the same but a slightly fringe version of it. So I, again, I think that that's why what we've seen this week from the Greens has been an important move from them. I have to say, just in terms of the the stories that we do <clears throat> and the issues that people face. Um, for example, Labour's family package. People already have a hard time navigating their way through wins and trying to get some of these um, tax bonuses or credits yeah. or whatever it is that you call them. You just about have to have a master's degree. Um, <clears throat> certainly it's even more difficult if you live in a car and you don't have an internet connection and you're trying to get on the website to figure out what you're entitled to. So I think um, I think there's an appetite for simple policies that people can understand that appear to be um, easily accessible and I think that's why we're seeing the Opportunities Party mm. sort of getting some some cut through mm. um, because they're talking about simple things that make a difference and you know just recalling Labour when they announced their student loan policy for example interest-free student loans it's sort of clear easy stuff that people can grasp with the family tax package it's sort of like if you have three kids and the fourth one is conceived on the crescent moon in the <laughs> summer, you can have half a tax bonus. If you fill out this form, you'll get a rebate. Yeah. Um, in twelve months. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, and and I'm, I I I suspect the Labour will be alert to that, and they will want to have at least one kind of flagship policy in the next. What well, we got two months to go until the election, um, because that that student loans interest thing. 
depending on your, how you how you tell the story, swung things. Oh, and, absolutely! You know. Won the two thousand and five election. I remember mm. when that policy was announced. That was that was before social media, but that mm. was probably the first viral policy announcement. I remember. Right, right, you know, mm. right. When we were, you know, all in our first desk jobs, you know, everyone would email each other about Labor's announcement you know, mm. for the first day or two. It was, it was that exciting. Speaking of virality, have you been have you seen the new sort of ads and the in uh, the billboards and everything? Is everyone hugely excited? I about do. That? I love the way um, hoardings bring out people's creative streak. Um, I love the little moustaches and the swear words. I thought the um, the Bill English Dominoes delivering to New Zealand was. An inspired piece of work. So I'm excited to see them back up. Only- I always think it's interesting who's up and who hasn't got up yet. So like in Ponsonby, Shane Taurima, Tamaki Makoto, Māori Party, he's up there, but I haven't seen any Annabelle Lee has got out there to the to the <laughs> Heartland yeah. New Zealand Ponsonby. I have. <laughs> so this is the heart of the Māori. Um, uh, my reservation about that Domino's pizza one is that someone did it in Photoshop and I'm not sure that should be allowed. I feel as though while well, I, well, I would it, never endorse or condone anyone to get out there. Yeah, that's right. It's probably someone sitting at home on the DPB <laughs> with the Photoshop. <laughs> doing the, get out there, I'm telling you. Get, get the spray paint. I mean, don't. Paint. I do not endorse <laughs> that. Do get not some, do get it. Get some fresh air. But Get to it? know people in the community. <laughs> yeah, meet some people. Organise a gang. You can't pull Risk down a horn by yourself. Um, but, but isn't that about like upskilling though? Like upskilling right. our... Graffiti night, artists. night courses. Yeah. <laughs> you can get into that, Ben. With your career as a, a skilled job force. Um, we haven't force. talked. We've hardly talked. Oh no! Wait, oh, I, I just wanted to say the billboards. I mean, the, probably the most striking thing about the um, billboards going up now is you'd have to say that the printing timetable has saved Andrew Little's leadership of the Labour Party. Yes. Um, I, th- I think, I think if there <laughs> I were about, I think if there were about two more weeks till press time, <laughs> Mr. 5% mm. might be having a few more problems with his caucus. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. Anyway, um, uh, we haven't mentioned um, Winston Peters barely at all, which is kind of incredible, but his, um, his bus keeps on soaring through the regions. Um, the... The the Māori seats promise, mm-hmm. sort of, which became a bit kind of muddy. <laughs> it started off as there was there's going to be a referendum. New Zealand First will have, a, I think, almost as a bottom line, a referendum on whether or not to retain the Māori seats. Then it became a little unclear whether or not that would just be people who are on the Māori roll get to vote on that. How did, what did you make of all that, Annabelle Lee? Oh, I thought it was a bit of a cock-up, really, like, you know... Fake media. Do, do, you don't need to get in every into every skirmish, do you, Winston? I just thought it was silly. Firstly, I was insulted that he hadn't watched the Hui, where Shane Jones <laughs> clearly stated after he was announced as a candidate for New Zealand yeah. First that the um, Māori seats should remain as long as um, Māori wanted them to. And he's and on the Māori roll, right? He's on the Māori roll. I just think it's a high risk. It was a it was an unnecessary risk, in my opinion, because. <clears throat> Winston is doing well in the Māori seats and you risk alienating um, voters who, um, although they can't give you your electorate vote, they can party vote for New Zealand first. It's not a hot topic anymore. Well, no one really cares about it that much. Māori want the seats. It doesn't impact on... 
Hobson's Pledge, New, Hobson's New Pledge have been raising money, and they're looking for someone to give it to. So maybe it was a maybe it was a, a play for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the, he looked, well, no, he looked out a re, step re, with his own MPs. It remains National Party policy, does it not? It, ben it is to yeah, remove the Maori seats. It, it is National Party policy, but obviously because of their partnership with the Maori Party, they've kind of modified it to we'll we'll we do want to abolish the Maori seats when Maori want to get rid of them. <laughs> John um, Key said when we interviewed him in the Herald sort of interviews series before the last election when he was asked that by Audrey Young he said that to to get rid of the Māori seats would be to hikoi from, from hell <laughs> I'm not sure he said hikoi hikoi anyway that, that, which was probably fair enough right but, yeah. but I think again in terms of the sort of convergence on certain issues that we've seen um, you know back in 2008 uh, yeah National Act New Zealand First were all campaigning on getting rid of the Māori seats so and so there was obviously seen to be a constituency in favour of that. Yep. Now here, because of National's alliance with the Māori Party, um, that's gone. ACT has has moved on to other pastures. They've sort of moved on a bit from the sort of Rodney Hyde days. Um, and so Winston has this all to himself if he wants it. Now the problem is that he also has his, his next sort of two most important MPs are uh, Ron Mark, mm. and then probably sh- will probably be Shane Jones, both mm. of whom are very deeply enmeshed in Māoridom mm. in their communities. Oh, yeah. yeah, and and Peter Paraione, who is the chairman of the Waitangi Trust. <laughs> you know, they, these are very Māori people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're they're not just sort of space fillers on the list. They're important figures in their communities, and there is no way that they will be able to sort of successfully sell this. To their people, so maybe if, New Zealand Winston, First isn't quite a one-man party after all. I just think if um, Winston feels so strongly about it, perhaps what he should do is um, on the Sunday after the elections is discount any party vote that New Zealand First receives from from the Maori electorates. <clears throat> you know, if if you feel so strongly about it, um, then don't accept the votes that come from from those seats. Bill English put out a press release um, earlier this morning, we're talking on the 26th of July today, by the way, um, saying that they would, it was a kind of virtual cup of tea in which he said that they'll be, the National Party endorses more or less David Seymour in Epsom and Peter Dunn in Ohario. Um, seismic shockwaves around seismic Wellington. Shockwaves. He, he didn't mention the Māori Party, but then I think they probably would um, have preferred he didn't <laughs> yeah. in many ways. But I'm um, just thinking about that. So we spent a lot of time over recent weeks talking about the um, putative Labour, Green, New Zealand First, uh, tripartite coalition, how that might work. Do they hate each other? The Greens going at New Zealand First, New Zealand First going at Greens. Um, Andrew Little going at Winston Peters, etc. But we've applied relatively little attention to the most likely outcome, which is a national New Zealand first government, right? And it was interesting in the you know, in the House this week, Winston was going hard at Bill English again over the Todd Barclay saga, which we haven't touched on. Todd the sort of the the vanishing Todd Barclay, who's um resigned his candidacy for Cliff Southland. Um I mean should we be paying more attention to that? I'm sort of wondering maybe that's going to happen in the time to come. You know, Winston Peters has called for Bill English's resignation. Bill English is in his press conference this week saying, oh, Winston, you know, he talks a lot of claptrap. I mean, he's, you know, that if, if that were happening on the other side of the ledger, I think perhaps people would be more alarmed by it. Is it just, is this just the, the game of Winston Peters? What is it? I think that you can successfully discount 
pretty much everything Winston says before an election. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it makes the punditry and the sort of criminology of it a little less fun when you realise that there's there's not actually any way of reading between the lines because nothing that Winston says. It's not reading between election, the lines is reading the lines. It's, <laughs> it's, it's it's you know there's. Winston campaigned in 1996 on changing the government, and what he meant was changing the national government to a national New Zealand first government. Um, the, you can't draw a line, but you know he rejected the baubles of office in 2005, and then became foreign minister. It, this, you can't draw a direct line between statements he makes about politicians or parties or about where he's going to go in government, um, or how he's going to deal with people in government. Um, you know, he said he said terrible things about Jim Bolger, and Jim Bolger said terrible things about him before 1996's election. Yeah, um, and then they actually worked together reasonably well um, before before Bolger was toppled by Shipley, um, and, and and Peter sacked. So I I, don't, I I think I think that especially a guy like Bill, who English the Prime Minister, who's been in Parliament since 1990 um, with Winston. You know, he, this is water off a duck's back. He knows that Winston is not going to sort of take, you know, not going to demand that he resigns as part of his coalition negotiations. I think it might have been different if it was John Key. I think because of the, 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 the real sort of slight on Winston from 2008 of ruling out working with him um, and, yeah. and, and drawing a connection between Peters' behaviour and honesty and yeah. ruling him out, I think that might have been a bit more of an impediment. It's like a rom-com. This is the bit in the rom-com where the girl pretends that she hates the boy, <laughs> but really she is harbouring feelings that she can't even admit to herself. Oh, that's beautiful. Or like if it was like Taming of the Shrew, if it were speaking in Shakespearean terms. Which is the shrew? Who's the true? Winston. Winston is the true. That's good. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of success getting him onto your program now if he's listening this deep into this um, essential podcast. Um, I should say, just um, because um, Black Hands, which you mentioned, did explain to their readers helpfully this week that, that this is a podcast, and they explained that podcast is a portmanteau of iPod and broadcast. So just for anyone that wasn't clear on that, that's what this is to, it's gone by lunchtime. Uh, uh, like us or love us or whatever you do, leave a review on iTunes, I have to say that every time. Uh, we were going to get to housing and immigration, we didn't have time, but we'll do that next week, there's lots more to talk about. Thanks Annabelle. Thanks it's Toby. Really good, really good to have you back. It was great to be back, Thanks, missed ben. you guys. It's, it's, it's always good to see you. Thanks, 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 th- thanks Mad. Thanks, thanks Mad. Mad. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.